we read our Bibles looking to draw closer, looking to connect with the God that when his people are in oppression, he, he parts the seas and allows them to walk through on dry ground to the other side to protection and safety. Looking to connect with the God that when his people are hungry, he makes manna to fall from heaven so that all who trust in him would not go hungry. Looking to, to find a friendship with the God who uses a shepherd boy to cause the giant that stands in the way of his people's prosperity to fall. And yet sometimes when, when we read our scripture, we are left with this, with this disconnect to our lived experience. We have our, our giants or our Goliaths today. Viruses such as Ebola threaten to, to wipe out entire tribes there are, are seas of, of hate, racism, sexism. We, we make these groups that divide people. And when, all time, when, when world hunger is at an all-time high, we sometimes look up and wonder why the manna is not falling today. We don't have to go too far to see the injustice in our own communities we can start at the Orange County Jail. And if you haven't been, I'd like you to, to visualize this morning walking through the double doors with me past the two gentlemen at the front desk sipping on their sinisterly sweet, lukewarm coffee through the rows of security and finally past the rows and rows of 10 by 10 gray cells. And notice with me a woman in the far end, crouched on the floor with her arms huddled around her knees, rocking back and forth slowly. When we ask her for her story, she'll tell us that she doesn't belong there. She is serving a, a lifelong sentence for a crime that she didn't commit. And while she is there in this prison, with her body and mind locked behind a cell, the, the person who truly committed the crime is walking the streets free. And as we travel back to, to our church and we make the familiar right-hand turn onto Chapman Avenue, we notice the man that we've seen a thousand times with his faintly legible cardboard sign and and as the red light lingers more than it usually does, he, he paces the rows of cars and finally makes his way towards us. And when our guilt overtakes us, we reach inside our pocket for the crumpled dollar bill that was the change for our morning's coffee. And we extend our hand towards this man, and to our surprise, he, he doesn't react and he doesn't respond. And as he gets closer, we realize that his sign reads, blind war veteran, and he's saving up for, for an operation that he'll likely never be able to afford. And it's at these moments in our life and in our existence that we, that we plead with God, God, where are you? God, do something. Come forth into our experience and make a difference. But we aren't the first church we aren't the first community or the first generation to, to cry out in this way. 
See, there is something true to our human experience and to our Christian experience that we call on God when we experience these moments. And this is a prayer, this is a pleading that has been on the tips of our tongues for generations upon generations. The psalm that we're looking at today is, is Psalm chapter 80, and it is, it's written by a gentleman named Asaph, who has quite a bit in common with ourselves. You see, Asaph is writing at a time of desperation. He is a member of the tribe, or he is a member of the Israelites, and he is in the midst of what uh, scholars would tell us is the Assyrian captivity. Out of the 12 tribes in Israel, nine of them have been taken over by this, by this military power. Nine tribes have had their men potentially killed, their sons sold into slavery, their daughters taken as concubines for this foreign nation. And Asaph, as a member of one of the three remaining tribes, is pleading to God in the midst of this very real heartbreak and this very real tension And in verse 3, he says some very profound words. He says, Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. In other words, God, do something. Use your light to penetrate this darkness and make yourself real to us in a way that you would change our circumstances that you would redeem us, that you would restore us to a place of, of significance. Make your face shine that we may be saved, that we would not perish. In John chapter 8, Jesus comes across the same woman that we had just encountered in the Orange County Jail. She is brought before him for a crime that she likely did not commit. She is brought before him in in bitter circumstances with her fate ultimately in his hands. She is dragged before him by a group of Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Look, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. And you know very well that by the law of Moses, this woman deserves to be killed. She deserves to be stoned for, for chastising the law that we hold very dear. And they come to Jesus looking to trap him. They, they make him judge, but Jesus is truly the one on trial because they know that if Jesus says that she is innocent, that she deserves to, to be forgiven, then he violates the law of Moses and he deserves to, to die a death as a blasphemer. And rather, if he says that, that she is worthy to die, then he contradicts his entire mission of love and grace and salvation. So the Pharisees give Jesus these very two neatly defined traps. And ultimately there is no right answer. And so they they say, what shall we do with her, Jesus? And they wait for him to fall into one of these traps. And, And Jesus, as he often does in Scripture, strategically and tactfully avoids questions. And instead of responding in the way that they would like, Jesus does something very profound, and he bends over and begins to write in the dust. And as he's, he's writing down there, he says, He who is without sin, cast 
the first stone. And one by one, these Pharisees who, who had charged this woman with adultery and who had, who had pleaded with Jesus that she should die, they start to analyze their own lives and one by one they, they walk away. And then it's just Jesus and this woman and, and he looks at her and she still has her head down and he says, where are the ones who accuse you? Then he says, neither do I accuse you. See, Jesus is in the business of restoring humanity to people. Jesus, who the book of John describes was present and active at creation, uses the same dust that he used to create Adam and Eve, that he uses the same dust to recreate the life for this woman. He uses this same dust to restore meaning, to restore life to give this woman an ability to look up and with dignity look upon the face of her Savior, Creator, and Redeemer. In the beginning was the Word, and the light shone in the darkness. Right after this experience, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we read Psalm 80 and we say, God, do something, shine forth, his first response is in his son. When we ask God to shine forth, he gives us a savior, a redeemer in Jesus Christ, who Jesus proclaims himself to be the light of the world, a light that will shine in darkness and change our circumstances. The story continues in John chapter 9. And after Jesus and his disciples leave the temple courts, they, they are walking and they come across the same blind man that we saw on Chapman Avenue, holding his same sign with his arms outstretched. And as Jesus and his disciples are walking by, his disciples look at this man, noticing that he can't see, and his disciples say, Jesus, Whose fault is it that this guy is blind? They speculate on, on why he is in the condition that he's in. They say, is it because he sinned? Is it because his mom sinned? His grandfather? Whose sin is to blame for this man's blindness? And again, Jesus doesn't even entertain this kind of question. And instead, he again ignores this very leading, hurtful question. And again, bends over and picks up this dust, and he, he mixes it with his own life-giving saliva and, and makes a paste, and he gently wipes it on this man's eyes. And for the first time, this man is able to open his eyes, and the first thing that he lays eyes upon is the face of his Savior, is the face of his Redeemer. After this experience, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples who, who clearly have not gotten the point so far. It's getting close to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension back into heaven. So he's, he's communicating with his disciples what is crucial for them to carry on after he goes back to his father. And he says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. 
Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. In other words, he tells his disciples that you are to be like me. He tells his disciples that they are to do the things that they have seen him doing for months and years in his ministry. He tells his disciples to, to believe. And it's not a, a shallow belief that, that, that affirms Jesus and who he was and stops there. No, it's rather a belief that puts the words and actions of Jesus into practice. It's a belief that becomes everything that Jesus is on this earth. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is, more, is even more profound and straightforward with the things that he says. And, and he addresses the disciples and says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in John, Jesus calls himself the light. And in Matthew, Jesus switches it and says, After I'm gone, you become the light. You see, God's first way of responding to our cry to shine forth into our experience and to make a difference was found in Jesus. But God has a second very real way of communicating with the world. God has a second light, and in John and in Matthew, he describes that this light is you and I. You see, God has, has graciously chosen to make us partners with him in his plan of restoration and redemption for this world. And as Christians, whether, our, whether we like it or not, we take on the very name of God in our actions and in our words, and we show the world with our actions Jesus or alternatively, we show the world with our inaction that Jesus is not present. When people are looking for answers in our community, when people are looking to the church to find structures of meaning and, and, and actions that make a difference, I often wonder if, if God looks at us and says the same thing that we have said to him. What if God is, is calling for us to shine forth on his behalf? Jesus has shown us what it means to be human in the name of God, and it rests upon our shoulders to embody what we have seen Jesus embody and to do what Jesus has done. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have often not lived up to this calling of, of being the light of the world. Sometimes it's, it's our temptation to get comfortable in our churches, in our pews, and we look out our, our stained glass windows and we see the injustice and the evil in the world, but because it maybe doesn't come into contact with us in, in the same way that we see it in others, we, we avoid it. And even worse, sometimes we become the Pharisees and we point out the evil that we see in others without looking to do anything about it. We point our fingers in, in condemnation and judgment instead of reaching out our hand in restoration like Jesus. 
And like the disciples, we, we speculate about why things happen, why, why the evil exists. We, we make this a philosophical discussion about why world hunger exists, about, about why people who are living in broken homes, perhaps it's because of alcoholism, or, but we don't take it the step further that Jesus takes it and live in the midst of these circumstances so that we can be light and change them. We've used the, the blessings that God has given us sometimes in the wrong way. We have our time, our resources, our, our money, our talents, our votes. And instead of using these things that God has given us to reach out and, and, and improve the lives of others, we've used them to isolate ourselves and, and get complacent and get comfortable. When I read Psalm 80, I'm tempted to read it through the lens of, of my trivial first world problems. You see, I want God to respond to my, to my relatively small needs, but when I do this, I'm avoiding the bigger picture. I'm quick to align myself with Israel and ask God where he is in my experience. Where is he in the midst of the, of, of the problems that I am facing? And it's okay to pray for ourselves, but I think that we have a much greater calling than self-preservation. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes I have much more in common with the Assyrians than I do with the Israelites. Sometimes I am the one that's enabling the darkness to continue. Sometimes I am the one that, that is, is not using my time, my money, my resources, my votes that put people into power to change things. Sometimes I'm using all of these things to benefit myself instead of using them to shine forth in the darkness that we see in this world. And when the world looks at you and it looks at me for action and we refuse to act, it sees God as silent. It sees the darkness that it's experiencing and it sees no light because God has chosen you and I to become lamps in this world. And it is up to you and I whether or not we choose to accept the calling, the blessing that God has given us to participate in his world of redemption and light. And maybe the reason that you and I aren't experiencing God's presence in the way that we would desire is because we have refused our call to be his body. When God tells us that we are the body of Christ, he implies that we are to have eyes that, that look upon this world and find places that we can make a difference. He calls us to have feet that stand with people who are oppressed, that stand with people who are not able to stand themselves. He calls us to have hands that get down in the dirt and use our resources to bring life to individuals who are not able to experience it. And he calls us to have lips that proclaim the gospel. Lips that proclaim a gospel that, that doesn't end in words, but that always ends in action. Maybe it isn't the fact that, that God has stopped talking. No, maybe rather it's the fact that you and I have stopped listening. That still, small voice, if we choose to hear it, is constantly directing our attention to people who need to see the face of Jesus in you and I. And we cannot stifle that voice any longer. 
God has chosen to speak to us, but also to speak through us. And he has given us the privilege of becoming lamps in this world so that we could spread the light that we have seen in Jesus. We spend a lot of time speculating about when and how Christ will return. And I look forward to that day as much as anyone But I think that our hope and affirmation of of Christ's soon coming should motivate us to live Christ-like lives here and now. Our, Our belief and hope and affirmation of the kingdom of heaven should call for us to live lives of the kingdom here and now. If we believe that there will be a day with no more suffering, with no more tears, with no more sickness then we should use that to motivate us to give people as real as a representation of the kingdom of heaven as possible. There are many people in this world who don't have the hope of eternity, who don't have the hope of salvation. And it is our actions, our words, our lifestyle that give people a glimpse of what the kingdom looks like. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Maybe it's time for us to, like Jesus, get our hands dirty and use the resources that we have to speak life into the people who are walking in darkness without Christ. Next time you are tempted to to point your finger at God and say, do something, make sure that you listen to his reply, what are you waiting for? You are the light of the world. Shine forth. There's a place of quiet stillness Between the light and shadows reach Where the hurting and the hopeless Seek everlasting peace Words of men and songs of angels Whisper comfort bittersweet Mending grief and life eternal Where joy and sorrow meet There is a place where hope remains In crowns of thorns and crimson stains And tears that fall on Jesus' feet joy and sorrow meet there's a place the lost surrender and the weary will retreat and there is grace and mercy tender in time of unbelief for the wounded there is healing strength is 
tears that fall on Jesus' feet, where joy and sorrow Of thorns and crimson stains. 